I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk. Because it's Christmas here, I've got a good intro for you, Tom. We're not recording, are we? We're always recording. Oh, don't really want to say it now. What? Could be instead of just hello and welcome, could be ho, 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 hello and welcome, because it's Christmas. You can have that. Yeah, all right. That sounds more you. Um, but did you just think of that yourself? Yeah, just now. Ah, Santa says that, doesn't he? Sometimes. Yeah, yeah, he's been known. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Hello and welcome to a rather Christmassy uh, a Christmassy little case we've got here over on ICMAP. It's a little bonus episode we wanted to share with you guys. But before we get into it, how are my Christmassy little elves doing? <laughs> how you doing? How you doing, Benny? <laughs> uh, yeah, doing very well, thank you. Merry Merry Christmas, one and all. Um, and, and happy holidays uh, to everyone out there. I hope everyone's had a lovely start to December or mid-December at this point. Um, and sending uh, festive vibes to everyone because festive is a word that I'm going to stand by. You're really pushing at that word, aren't you? Yeah. Festive. Yeah. Festive. Just festive. And producer Dan, how are you doing today? I'm feeling festive too, to be fair. Very full. Festive too. Fulfilled, uh, cosy, uh, warm. Yeah, very, very fulfilled because we had a cheeky little meet-up, didn't we, over the weekend, uh, meeting some of the fans of ICMAP. Um, we just have a wonderful community, don't we? Yeah, it was really nice. We met up with the guys over in Birmingham, over what was Midpoint Midlands. And uh, yeah, we were a little bit late, which is, was a bit of my fault. But it was lovely to see everyone was chatting and the community was chatting away. And then when we got there, it was just lovely to meet people and just, yeah, hang out, have a few drinks. And yeah, it was the Christmas market outside. Yeah. Very festive out there. You could say that. We had to, as well as the mingling we did at the meetup, we also had to mingle our way through the Christmas market. So it was very festive all in all. And I've got a gingerbread man candle on the go. Um, so that's filling the room with festivities uh, right now. I don't know why it's not just gingerbread. Maybe I've got a bit of the sort of bit of man eyes. there, is there? Yeah. Well, a, bit man, a little bit of man musk in there, yeah. maybe. <laughs> maybe someone at the factory. Sandalwood. Just... And for, I mean, for those who are wondering, <laughs> um, uh, who perhaps think, oh, I missed out on that meetup. I didn't see anything about it. We will have uh, an official meetup, I think, next year. Sometime, perhaps in the summertime, cheeky little barbecue. Mm. Um, some good vibes, some good hangs. So don't worry if you miss this one. Um, uh, this one was a slightly unofficial meetup, but we're going to have an official one next year. For sure. And we'll be happy to see all of you guys. Yeah, it was, it was just great to, see, to put names to faces and mm. yeah, discuss true crime, like-minded people. But yeah, we're looking forward to the next one. But today's case... So with this week being a, a Christmas special in a way, a little additional uh, add-on to Series 8, we'll call it an add-on, um, just to give you an update on what we've been up to, we've been still been posting episodes weekly over on our website, icmap.co.uk. At the moment, around 140 episodes, um, and we're also planning on doing another Christmas special over there, and we also recently covered uh, the Michael Barrymore uh, swimming pool death, which was a, a highly divisive case, and also Jake Davison, uh, the Plymouth incel shooter, very horrific case um so yeah if you if you just can't wait until the new year when we'll be back with the uh, the new series um to be confirmed uh, head over to the website come and uh, come and hang out with the cult um we've got a, a brand new taster tier which uh, allows you to dip your christmas toe into the christmas party into the eggnog 
Yes. Oh, oh stinks! Uh, but don't, don't put your feet into eggnog, because um, I imagine that's just it's not very sanitary. No. No, no. The egg, egg, the, egg, the egg man is saying no. <laughs> which that's which too won't, mean, won't mean a lot to be some people. Yeah, just, just, just to put some reference on that. Uh, in the cult, Dan's nickname is the, the Egg Man or the Egg King or the Egg Little Boy with the runny nose. What was it, Dan? I think you'll find I'm the Egg King. Egg King? I'm, I'm the Egg King. King. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Which I'm happy with, you know. I'm cool with it. Yeah. I'm in, I've embraced it. Embraced the egg. Mm. Uh, and, and Ben, you embraced an egg, actually, in the meetup, didn't you? With some force. I did, yeah. I pulled a bit of a Matrix move when a uh, boiled egg with someone's face on it was hurtled towards my direction. <laughs> um, caught it with my little... Well, blocked it with my left palm um, before it caused any further damage so yeah that was all good and it was it was affectionately thrown at me I should add I wasn't egged I felt some hatred when it, it looked quite aggressive no, I, yeah. well, I mean there was venom behind it but friendly venom take this friendly, you venom. <laughs> oh <laughs> he did have a rather eggy sandwich in the car as well so we kind of thought maybe the egg was just trying to come home mm. in a way yeah mm. sure that's fair little Christmas story like Homer yeah. Bound's quite Christmassy. No, it's not really, is it? No. <laughs> no. Egg, Eggwood Bound. Egg yes. hands. Um, anyway, let's get into this week's case. Yes, like Richard said, it's a Christmas-themed um, case, or it's been told by a lot of people to have a Christmas spin to it, for sure. So, yeah, uh, this week it is the, uh, the Christmas special, the Texas Christmas Massacre, uh, also referred to as the Yazdampana family murders, the case of Aziz Yazdampana, the Santa Claus gunman, and the Grapevine family murders. Um, yeah, very dark one. Um, the association with Christmas in this case is very bleak indeed. Um, we did one, was it last year or the year before on the website with the cabin and the last home alone year. type looking guys? Yeah, that was, that sort of stayed with me for a little bit. And yeah. this one is very, uh, very upsetting and disturbing in a similar way, but, um, quite different context to them being strangers in a cabin and this being a family member, but yeah, very upsetting case indeed. Well, let's unwrap it. At around 11.30am on Christmas Day of 2011, Grapevine Police Department were made aware of a 911 call coming from an apartment within the city of Dallas. All that call handlers were able to interpret amidst the loud banging, heavy breathing and mobile distortion were the haunting, whispered words, Help. Help. And, I am shooting people. Grapevine Police later arrived at the apartment to discover a scene almost beyond comprehension. Blood soaked the walls and floors of the apartment, whilst half-open Christmas presents lay amongst the furniture. As the officers explored further, they found seven bodies lying motionless whilst Christmas music echoed on the radio. Two of the bodies were holding guns, one of which was dressed in a Santa costume. An entire family had been murdered. This act of barbarity left many more questions than answers for a devastated community, forever leaving a harrowing mark etched into the history of Grapevine. Who was responsible? Why did this happen? And just how did the events take place on that fateful Christmas morning? So yeah, what we did in preparing for this case is kind of have a look at different kind of Christmas-themed true crime cases that are out there. And this one stood out, um, but then I was expecting to find so much more information about it and, and, and to have heard of this case at least, but there's really not a lot out there. And uh, yeah, the extremity of what this, this individual did to not only his own family, but extended family members is, is really shocking. And how this all came about is really shocking as well. So I'm surprised uh, there's not more content out there or certainly more information out there about the case because it's an absolute 
absolutely, uh, yeah, absolutely shocking one. Yeah, and uh, even when we were doing the research for this case, Ben was sending, we've been, used, we've been di- dipping our hands into the AI world and some of the things that Ben created uh, to kind of help highlight the uh, moments in this case, just very eerie and creepy, especially with any kind of crime case uh, based around this time of year you know, which is supposedly the happy time of year, you know, the innocence of children and believing in, oh, don't worry that, uh, people know Santa and uh, all that stuff. But um, yeah, it was a really juxtaposition, um, you know, the time of happiness and cheer, then something as gruesome as this happening. But yeah, just to note, obviously there wasn't a great deal of information out there, like Ben said about this case. So um, it's going to be a little shorter than our usual, but we'll go through a bit of background of Aziz and Yazdamp and her family before moving on to timeline of the events um, in the order to try and understand exactly why this has happened and what left Aziz thinking that these actions were his only possible option. Azizola Aziz Yazdan Panna, who went by the nickname of Bob, uh, to those that knew him, was born on the 27th of April 1955 in Shiraz, Iran. He came from a lower class family that was predominantly made up of male members, many of whom fought and passed away on behalf of the Islamic Republic of Iran army. In his early life, Aziz experienced poverty and hardships. The city that he was raised in was known for its high crime rates and homelessness, with armed robbery being the most prominent criminal activity in the area. Aziz had two sisters and four brothers, but it is unclear exactly what happened to them or whether or not they are still alive today. When he was 17, Aziz was given the opportunity to move to Ohio, America, in order to live with and work for his uncle, Amir Yazdampana, who owned a small electronics repair company. Shortly after arriving in America, Aziz met Fatima Ramate, who also went by Nazarin, who was also an Iranian immigrant that had arrived in America for a better quality of life. The pair quickly fell in love with one another, with Aziz being described as quiet, charming and considerate. Um, quiet, charming and considerate. The pair relocated together to Dallas, Texas for work opportunities, where they then began to rent a small house on the outskirts of the city of Grapevine. Aziz worked as a customer assistant at Best Buy, whilst Nazarin worked as a nail technician, giving manicures in a nail salon downtown and i uh yeah straight away grapevine i thought what's going on there grapevine texas well topical for it being a christmas episode it is actually referred to uh, as the christmas capital of texas uh, it was referred to that before this case took place uh, thankfully um, but it's also I thought you boys would like this apparently nationally renowned for its vineyards and wine tasting salons was a wine tasting salon a saloon or I did double check that, but it said salon. Apparently they're, oh. they're a thing. Let me just triple check that now that you said that, though, because saloon would have been cooler. And Aziz, um, he's actually from Shiraz, Iran. Exactly. Exactly. Why is salon champagne so expensive? Oh, yeah, it's a salon. Fair enough. Never heard of a wine salon in my life. Two years later, the pair married and planned on starting a family together. Everything seemed perfect. Neighbours would even describe the couple as follows. A match made. They were both quiet and hardworking, but they always seemed to be dedicated to one another and on the same page. They were always friendly whenever we saw them, but Bob, Aziz, would work night shifts and sleep through the day, so we didn't see him so often. Several years after they were married in 1992, Aziz and Nazrin welcomed their first child to the world, a daughter that they named Nona. Four years later, in 1996, the pair had another baby, this time a boy that they named Ali. 
As a result of the family growing, Nazrin took time off work to raise their children, whilst Aziz quit his job at Best Buy and began working for a mortgage broker as a trainee advisor. Despite the extra pressure to provide for his family, Aziz was said to have been a caring and enthusiastic father who put his family before anything else. Not long after Aziz began his new career venture, the first cracks began to appear in their marriage. It is alleged that Aziz would regularly bully, belittle and berate his wife in front of his children and friends. And it is also alleged that Aziz would perform poorly at work. His co-workers would describe him as A constantly complaining and constantly lethargic individual who took so much more time to learn new things than would be considered average which made employing him and trying to train him feel very tedious. That's a, that's a very tap in that. Uh... <laughs> Take it. Take it. <laughs> Fucking. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. I actually wrote that. I didn't know how it ended up in this document, but... (laughs) (laughs) What do you know? Tom's done Ben. Come back next time for another Tom Does Ben. (laughs) Nah, no, fair play to him. Uh, Well, not not him, not to Ben, not to... Um, As a result of his poor performance, the mortgage broker let go of Aziz and he struggled to find new employment from this point onwards. Some people said he was the best part of, of... Some people did say that. Obviously, what he went on to do was terrible, though. So I'm not going to make the comparison any further. <laughs> okay. It's like saying pie face is the best part of the beano. Um, meanwhile, oh. Nazrin... Huh? <laughs> so a little bit of context here. Aziz and Nazrin, obviously, from Iranian background, they're quite old school. Well, Aziz was quite old school with his thinking and thinking that as the man, he should be the provider of the house. He should be the, the breadwinner you know, had, and had a lot of pride associated with that. So him being fired um, and, you know, leaving with a not very good referral i imagine um it really hit his pride quite a lot and the idea of um nazarin um you know helping out and assisting with what he believed to his role 
it very much uh, would upset him and, and anger him, which, um, you know, when it comes to it, Nazrin just wants to provide for her family. So it, it, she, of course, wasn't doing anything to belittle him. It was more just wanting to provide and, you know, essentially make ends meet in doing so. So Nazrin would go back to work, initially self-employed, running her own beauty and nail salon. Uh, the business started to thrive and she was soon generating enough income to support herself, her husband, as well as the couple's two children. She began to employ family friends as well as her sister Zora to work as a nail technician and her sister's husband Mohammed Hussein to work as their accountant. Nazrin's business went from success to success. She had now built a thriving company that had given the family the ability to purchase a large 3,010 square foot home in the neighbouring suburb of Colleyville. So I mean mortgage broker as well. Like imagine, you know, they've gone back to his old employees and like <laughs> he's like, How are you getting on? That's easy. Ah yeah. Your nails look nice, Aziz. Thank you, mate. Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> Aziz is alleged to have resented his wife's success as well as the fact that she was a primary breadwinner in the relationship. He was no longer able to bully or berate her as she was more than happy to support the entire family. So much so that Aziz would go through a 10-year period of unemployment. That's a lot. Yeah, that is a lot. And like, I mean, obviously people fall into like... There's certain periods in time where it is very hard to get a job, obviously not belittling that, but you'd have thought with Nazrin being more than happy to welcome other members of the family into the business. Yeah. yeah. He must have... I can, can only assume that she would have, you know, be more than happy to employ Aziz, but I imagine his pride got in the way of that as well. It's very tricky to maybe find the perfect role for you, but it's even trickier if you if you aren't even trying. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which it sounds like, yeah, Aziz was not. Yeah, it's like going, going to Subway and you're already full. It's like, well, which role do you want? It's like, I don't, I don't want one. So why are you in the queue? Fuck off. Like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, fuck off Aziz. Is it, yeah. Um, the family, it seemed to Aziz, at least owed everything to his wife's success. Aziz began to imagine what the male members of his family would think of him if they were able to see him. And yeah, the irony here obviously being in the fact that um, Aziz was, you know, forbidding um, his wife to work at all. And now she's providing for the whole family and, you know, even our, you know, even other members of the family. And yeah, um, now able to buy, you know, a big house. Um, and yeah, if anything, he should be very proud and happy of his yeah. wi uh, wife's achievements. But this is not the case. Yeah, it does get a bit a bit worse here as well because during this time, Aziz had tried unsuccessfully to start his own real estate business. So he was obviously let go as a trainee. He's now got a bit of money, probably his wife's behind him and sort of jumped in the deep end a bit and gone right to the top. I'm going to start my own business, uh, advising investors for property development schemes, as well as also providing mortgage brokerage services. However, just two years after starting this business, he had to file for bankruptcy which again is, yeah, it's, there's a lot of blemishes on his record at this point. He was also charged with subscribing to false income tax, causing the family a $2,000 fine, as well as having to pay over $32,000 in back taxes. Again, I am making the assumption that this came out of his wife's pocket, which only made him more envious of his wife's career and financial position. Nazrin, who was described by friends as having a heart of gold and being very in tune to people's feelings, had allegedly told friends that she did not want to be seen as too successful by her husband as she thought that this would upset him. Which is, yeah, that's, that's, that's really sad, isn't it? He was very controlling and very prone to rage and fits of jealousy. And in order for her to give the appearance of being less successful, Nazreen would go on to live very frugally, uh, only buying the essentials when food shopping and regularly buying her clothes from the Salvation Army, as well as other charity and thrift shops. So yeah, it's, a, it's, it's already a bad situation, but this sort of has backfired on Aziz completely. I imagine he saw his wife's own self-employed business taking off and then he's gone, oh, you know what, I'm going to do a bit of that so she doesn't have to or so she can't. And then his his efforts have uh, 
Well, they've they've come back to haunt him. Yeah, it, it reeks of um, being yeah you know, being overly self conscious and self critical because he's thinking of what other people would think of him. But you know, in obviously, especially now, but even back then, it's like you know the wife being the breadwinner is nothing to be ashamed of, and you know as long as the family is provided for. Um, and as I said, I, I mean, I'm just massively assuming here that it wouldn't have been out of the question for her to offer him a role, and uh, but his pride wouldn't let him do that. Um, so fair enough, he tried to do his own businesses. But um, it didn't go the right way. I just imagine as well when if she approached him and said, do you, you, like, "Come and work for me," he would say, "Manager, I want start at the top, please." Uh, dearie me, I want the red polish. <laughs> yeah, I could, yeah, I could imagine he wouldn't be happy doing the. Um, don't know what I think we know. Wouldn't take an entry position. No, no. Eventually, the dynamic of the relationship completely broke down. Nazrin had regularly asked Aziz to help around the house and to take the children to and from school, but he would often get into an attitude when anything was asked of him, especially by his wife. Oh. <laughs> Less of the attitude. <laughs> the pair would regularly get into heated exchanges to the point that in early 2011, Nazrin informed Aziz that she was going to file for divorce and move out of the family home into an apartment downtown. This news devastated an already irate Aziz, who was even more bemused when his two teenage children asked to move along with their mother. Mm. Which, yeah, I can imagine that would be very hard, but at the same time, sounds like he's not a barrel of laughs. And she's um, a hard-working, inspirational woman. Uh, Aziz was left in a large, empty family home all by himself whilst his wife and children moved into downtown Grapevine. Nazarene continued to throw herself into a flourishing business as her customer base continued to grow. She was loved by her customers and colleagues alike, and her children, once again, at least in Aziz's eyes, had clearly chosen their mother over him. Aziz, left only with the sports and envy of his wife's success, was informed by Nazrin that he would need to find employment as well as a place of his own, as the family would eventually move back into the Colleyville house once he had gone. Instead of looking for a job in a place of his own, he just doesn't help himself. Aziz instead looked for an alternate solution to the problem. So it is here that we move on to the timeline of the Texas Christmas Massacre. Christmas Eve 2011. Mohammed Hossein, the husband of Nazrin's sister and the brother-in-law of Aziz, is hosting a Christmas party at his ranch in Dallas, Texas. The ranch is popular amongst the Iranian-American community and a large number of guests are invited to the party. The entire Yazdan Pana family are in attendance, with the exception of Aziz, who had not been invited. Hmm. Ouch. Nazrin and many of her employees are present at the party, and yet essentially she's still obviously going through the transitional period from the fallout of the relationship, and she's receiving a lot of encouragement and well wishes from those in attendance, believing that she is making the right decision in leaving Aziz. Everybody at the party is having a good time, and Christmas spirits are in full flow. Nazreen and her two children, Nona and Ali, are driven back to the apartment in downtown Grapevine, where they settle in with a Christmas movie before placing presents under the Christmas tree just as they go to bed. Aziz, who had been alone for almost 11 months at this point, is sitting alone in what was once his family home. Sat on his desk is a Santa Claus costume, he has a couple of drinks and then goes to bed, having a clear plan in mind for the following morning's actions. So obviously, um, yeah, but- so on that topic of Christmas, Christmas Eve, are you guys big parties on Christmas Eve? That's a bit of a tradition. I think might might be more of a, a young man's game. But Christmas Eve is that a bit? Is that a, down the pub or is that just an early night? I would say it's my favourite night of the year uh, down the pub. It, it, it becomes less drinks each each year now, um, as I am getting older. 
but I, I just find that so much better than New Year's, New Year's Eve. Christmas Eve is the one for me. Village pubs, bit of frost on the road. Be careful, don't slip. Um, yeah, yeah, up there, 10 out of 10. I haven't been to the pub on Christmas Eve for years, to be fair, but it, it used to be absolutely, it used to be a blast going down the pub. Yeah. To the Boar's Head Definitely. was my uh, Ooh. my uh, regular Christmas Eve. But um, Mum was the plough. Oh, great. <laughs> Just to come back on Ben, um, I, sure, I, cool. I, I, I do like New Year's Eve. It's uh, I'm more of a fan of New Year's Eve now than Christmas Eve. Oh wow! Okay, controversial. Yeah, I just I I, I think uh, there's so much pressure on New Year's to be the the biggest night, best night of the year, and Christmas just sort oh, of yeah. sneaks along and takes it. I yeah. think Chris, New Year's is always just so expensive for what it is. That's you get the pressure from the night because Christmas Eve doesn't cost to go into somewhere for Christmas Eve. You're just there and you're having fun. Mm. But if you spend like 30 quid to get in somewhere on New Year's Eve, you're like, I have to have 30 quid to work for fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm more in the Christmas Eve kind of side of it. But Dan, I remember, was it Christmas Eve dancing late in the night at your flats? Oh yeah, the, at the flat. Um, didn't the neighbours complain as well? Because we were having such so. a good time. Yeah, I, just, I so just remember smacking a tube on my leg for ages to the beat and then rolling um i think it was a squash ladies squash, and gentlemen yeah. that is 30 quid's worth of fun right there yeah. exactly good point exactly that was christmas eve so dan why is new year's the big one for you is, is that what what sort of swung you that way well i should clarify yeah i'm not a fan of you know trudging over to like london to see the fireworks or anything but um i like having a quiet cozy night in on christmas eve and then doing something with friends on New Year's Eve, if that makes sense. So um, never been. Mm. I, I agree with Tom. Like, there's, there's, well, both of you actually. There's too much pressure on New Year's Eve to, to do something. Um, let us know on Spotify what you guys prefer: Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve. I just told you. No, I'm not you. I mean, back to Aziz though. This is this is awkward because he's not been invited to what sounds like a large gathering. Um, yeah, but you already I had mean, the Santa Claus costume. It'd be. I mean, it's sad if he bought that thinking he's going to be invited to it, and that was the costume he's going to wear. But yeah. I think we'll get into. Uh, the dark reason for that. So Christmas Day 2011, uh, this is speculated to be between 10am and 10.30am. Aziz arrives at Nazrin's apartment, dressed head to toe in a Santa Claus outfit. He greets his strange wife before wishing his two children a Merry Christmas. Also at the apartment are his brother and sister-in-law, Mohammed and Zara, and their daughter, Sara. A point to mention, it is not clear whether or not Aziz was invited to the apartment for Christmas, but text messages from his niece's phone make it clear that he did not force his way into the property, so it's likely that he was welcomed in to join the family. I could imagine they even maybe felt a bit of sympathy for him. You know, it's Christmas Day, let him see his kids, and, you know, we, you know it's Christmas after all. Um, 11 a.m., Sara... Um, Aziz's niece sends the following text message to a friend whilst Aziz sat in the living room with the family. So... <laughs> um, Why do you want to work here? <laughs> so, we're here. We just got here, and my uncle is here too, for some reason. Dressed as Santa. Awesome. I can imagine that she's teenagers, isn't she? So I can imagine it's done in a very kind of teenage Awesome. Quite dry. Uh, in a text message sent to the same friend 15 minutes later, she goes on to say... It's weird. We just exchanged gifts, but nobody had any for him. Now, all of a sudden, he wants to be all fatherly and win father of the year. Obviously, these text messages suggest that firstly, it was strange or at least not planned that Aziz was there on Christmas morning. And secondly, that his parenting efforts, attitudes or abilities had recently been called to question. 
Sarah saying that Aziz wanted to suddenly be fatherly and win the father of the year suggests that maybe he had not been making very much effort in recent months or that this behaviour was very out of character for him. Yeah, and I think these these text messages will go on to be one of the one of a very few uh, small amounts of evidence in this case. And yeah, I mean, without these texts, you wouldn't you wouldn't have known whether or not he had just sort of forced his way into the property or whether he had actually spent time with the family before going on to do what he did. So it's quite an insight to be able to see this and suggest that, yeah, actually, now all of a sudden he's making an effort when actually what he's going to do is is, is very far from that. 11.15 to 11.30 a.m. During this 15-minute window of time, the events and the order of which they occur are not completely clear. However, what can be proven based on later investigations of the crime scene are the following. Number one, 56-year-old Aziz Yazdampana pulls two handguns out of a bag that he had arrived with at his wife's apartment. The two guns were purchased by and registered to Aziz 15 years prior, shortly after his son Ali was born. He had a 9mm pistol and a 40 caliber Glock. Number two, in what can only be put down to envy, fear or revenge as a motive, whilst gifts are being opened, Aziz, dressed as Santa Claus, opens fire on his family shooting his estranged wife in the face at point-blank range, shooting his brother and sister-in-law several times in the chest and head, shooting his niece in the chest and shooting his son and daughter both in the head, with both of his children appearing to have received the most instantaneous deaths. Aziz brutally murders all six members of his family within a 15-minute window, though it is not clear in which order. He murdered his brother-in-law, Mohammed Hussein, with many more bullets than any of his other victims. So I think, yeah, I think it was almost six shots fired into Mohammed, whereas everyone else, one or two bullets. So there's, yeah, people have questioned why so many for, for Mohammed. Number three... At 11.34am, what many people speculate to have been Aziz, makes the following frantic and incoherent phone call to police whilst potentially checking to see if his victims are still alive. Grapevine 911, where is your emergency? Hello, Grapevine 911. You need help? Are you sick? What was that? Do you need an ambulance or police? Hello? One moment. I'm just getting heavy breathing on the phone and I need to stop me, so please hang up. And number four, almost immediately after this phone call is made, Aziz tries to frame his brother-in-law by placing one of his guns in his hand. Aziz then turns the gun on himself, shooting himself in the head. Both of his handguns are later found by investigators among the Christmas wrapping paper on the floor, not far from his body. So again, yeah, the speculation here that he tried to frame his brother-in-law, um, well, number one, his brother-in-law was kind of filled with bullets, um, so it, it didn't look as much like uh, suicide as a de as Aziz had potentially tried to make it out to. Um, and yeah, there are other ballistics that we'll go on to talk about that would prove that the, the bullets were not fired by his brother-in-law. So the only possible way that that would have been the brother-in-law was if it was like a gunfight between those two and he bled out. That's true. But that's still like six bullets and then a shot in the head. So it's it very, very unlikely. Yeah, as Ben said, we'll go into more detail before. But yeah, I mean, Aziz obviously trying to cover his tracks there. But it, I've heard some people speculate whether or not Aziz was planning to kill himself. Or mm -hmm. yep. uh, if it was, or if he was just gonna do this, leave that crime scene and leave um, his 
brother-in-law in that state and maybe yeah, he hadn't thought through the idea of if he has to shoot him multiple times how unlikely it is to make it look like a suicide especially with the kids or, or with the rest of the family not having access to, to weapons and whatnot so yeah it, it's I mean I hate to say ill thought out but it's it, it's a bit hard to understand exactly what's going through his mind at this point at 11.38am, just four minutes after this bizarre phone call to 911 and possibly due to calls from neighbours to report a disturbance, Grapevine police arrive at Nazrin's apartment to discover a scene almost beyond comprehension. Blood soaked the walls and the floors of the apartment, whilst half-open Christmas presents lay amongst the chairs. Seven bodies lay motionless, while Christmas music echoes on the radio. Aziz had murdered his wife of 24 years, 55-year-old Nazrin. He murdered his oldest child, his 19-year-old daughter Nonna, he murdered his only son, 15-year-old Ali. He murdered his niece, 22-year-old Sarah. He murdered his wife's sister, 58-year-old Zora. And he also murdered his brother-in-law, 59-year-old Mohammed. Grapevine Police Sergeant Robert Erbelin said the following of the scene and the alleged motive. We never really have encountered a situation with this many victims that were shot and killed. We're still trying to uncover the background here. It is, without doubt, the worst homicide we've ever had. We don't really have a clear idea why he did this. He had been out of work for some time and his wife's business was doing well. Some have informed us that he had not taken the separation or his wife's success all that well. Sometimes there's not really a good explanation for irrational behaviour. I think he was probably overwhelmed when it was all said and done and decided to take his life instead. Boxing Day 2011. The following day, once news of the murders began to reach the mainstream media, NBC News provides the following news report. Authorities are searching for the motive behind a Christmas Day tragedy in Texas. Four women and three men were found shot to death in their home, apparently after opening their Christmas gifts. Reporter Ben Russell of our NBC affiliate KXAS-TV joins us live now from the scene in Fort Worth suburb of Grapevine, Texas. And Ben here, any idea in terms of motive? I know it's early. Uh, it's still early in this investigation, obviously, though this did play out some almost 24 hours ago. No, there is no known motive, at least as one that police are telling us about. There is also no outward sign of the horrible tragedy that unplayed right through this sliding glass and door uh, frame here of this apartment complex in Grapevine. Again, you described as a suburb of Fort Worth and Dallas uh, here in greater North Texas. Uh, here is what we do know at this point. No one heard any of the gunshots that were fired inside of this home. Someone from inside of the home called 911 around 11.30 yesterday morning, but that person did not speak into the phone. An operator then sent police, Grapevine, Texas police, here to this scene to go and investigate, and they found the scene that we've been talking about now. We also have information that the suspected shooter in this case, a middle-aged man, may have been dressed as Santa Claus, though Grapevine police have not confirmed that information for us at this point this morning. The seven victims are all reportedly related. Again, four women and three men between the ages of 50 and 58 years old. They were all found inside of this apartment, though we're told not all of them lived here at this apartment. Their bodies were found in what was otherwise the evidence of a normal Christmas morning. There were Christmas presents that had been unwrapped and there was paper strewn about the room. Police did also find two handguns on the floor of the apartment in the living room, again, which is just behind this apartment behind me here. Uh, again, the big question obviously is the motive in this case. Perhaps it may never be known. We do expect to learn inf more information mm -hmm. from Grapevine Police later this morning, but obviously, no doubt, a very right. sad situation in this town on Christmas morning, which calls itself the Christmas capital of Texas. Richard. 
Later into this report, it is revealed that police believe that before Aziz ended his own life, he tried to stage the scene by placing one of the two guns used in the hand of his deceased brother-in-law, who he had obviously killed in a far more aggressive fashion than that of his other relatives. They would also state that he possibly didn't plan on taking his own life whatsoever until after he made the 911 call and became overwhelmed. Later DNA testing of the weapons proved that only Aziz had placed his fingers on each of the triggers. So again, that kind of ruled out any kind of involvement from Mohammed there. As the weeks and months moved on, candlelit vigils were held and funeral proceedings took place for the six victims in a private ceremony, whilst their murderer was buried in an unmarked grave. The community was left devastated, reeling from the events of that fateful Christmas day. Catherine Ann Coronado, a childhood friend of Aziz's daughter Nona, said the following in a Facebook post on a memorial page for the family, with many people commenting in agreement. I swear that I never had a good feeling about Aziz when I met him. During the years, we sensed things, but not to the point he would ever take his own children's lives. He was strict and unfriendly, but we thought that was just his way. Nona would sometimes come to school crying, saying that her dad was crazy. Quote, He wouldn't let her wear certain things. He was always taking her phone away, checking her call history and checking her text messages. Friends also stated that Nona's father Aziz had installed cameras all around the home so he could watch the family's comings and goings. Others said that he once nailed her bedroom window shut so she could not sneak out at night to see her boyfriend, which is a very sort of cartoonish... Uh, way to prevent her from leaving. Another friend of Nona's said the following regarding how close the brother and sister were with their cousin Sarah. They were as close as siblings. They basically called each other sister, brother. They were everybody's best friend and everybody loved them so much. Nona wanted to go and study in California and become a lawyer. She was so gifted and had such a bright future ahead of her. The same with Ali and Sarah. It's just not fair. Nazrin and Sora were referred to as angels and two of the nicest people you could ever wish to meet in this world. By lifelong friend Mashi Mudeji, who stated that the Persian community in Dallas were devastated by the crimes. Aziz did not leave any kind of written audio or video message behind in terms of any reason for his actions or any explanation or for any kind of motive. It's never been proven that Nazrin entered any kind of new relationship or had done anything to offend Aziz to the point where that he would even consider these actions. Many believe his motive to be a combination of financial desperation as well as jealousy of his wife's success and stability. He hated that his wife and children were doing so well without him. He didn't want his wife and children to be happy and free if he himself could not be happy and free. Which is... Terribly selfish. Yeah, it's such a dark, dark... It's like, yeah, it's, it's horrible. Like you, you know... You only want the best for your children, surely. Another slightly more loose theory is that Aziz and Muhammad used to be incredibly close prior to the breakdown of his marriage. Both would travel across America together for Muhammad's business, with it being alleged that each of them would frequent massage parlors and brothels, engage in encounters with sex workers. It's believed that Muhammad told his wife about these instances, but said that it was only Aziz who engaged with sex workers. And that this is the true reason behind the breakdown of Aziz and Nasser's relationship, and why she could not stand to be in the same building as him. So yeah, that, that suggestion was sort of implied in one of the local newspapers that they had, well, that they had been extremely close, the, the brother-in-laws, and that there may have been some sort of shady past bet shared between the two. But uh, I think it's much more likely, as, as Tom kind of outlined, he had become overwhelmed and devastated by the divorce and couldn't stand to see them doing so well without him. I think it's a horrible, horrible uh, reason to do what he did. Um, and yeah, really bleak, really, really bleak. 
So a little bit of aftermath for you. There are two very similar cases that are slightly more well-known in comparison to the Texas Christmas Massacre. Um, number one being the Lawson family murders, which happened on Christmas Day of 1929 in North Carolina, uh, where the father, Charles Lawson, murdered his wife as well as six of his seven children before taking his own life. Um, yeah, looking into this one briefly is, is an incredibly brutal case. The only surviving member of the Lawson family was 19-year-old Arthur Lawson, Lawson, who uh, bizarrely Charles had actually sent out of the house before killing the rest of his family and himself. With this case, it's alleged that Charles had sustained a serious head injury just four months prior to his actions, which many believed had altered his mental state. And the second one being the Covina Massacre, uh, and this one happened during the late night of Christmas Eve and the early hours of Christmas Day in 2008. Bruce Jeffrey Pardo, the ex-husband of Sylvia Pardo, and once again, a case that is incredibly brutal. Uh, Bruce arrived at the large home of his former in-laws dressed in a Santa suit. This one is also particularly brutal. So Bruce arrived at the large home of his former in-laws dressed in a Santa outfit, where he then proceeded to shoot at close range nine people before setting the house on fire and killing himself. In total, he killed nine people and injured three others. He killed his ex-wife, his former father and mother-in-law, three sister-in-laws, two brother-in-laws, and the son of one of his sister-in-laws. One of the youngest individuals affected by this case was his eight-year-old niece, who he had shot at close range. Uh, however, fortunately, she survived. His divorce had been finalised just a week before the shootings took place. So yeah, there was two kind of uh, similar cases, and, and maybe they can be ones that we cover in, in future Christmas episodes. But um, yeah, this week's one, the Yazdanpana family murders, the Texas Christmas Massacre, an incredibly bleak case. And um, yeah, it, it, there are always alternate ways out of your problems than doing what Aziz did. I good, good. Glad you finished that. It sounded like you were saying that's, uh, there's always ways out of your problem. Uh, obviously, that's not the way that anyone, I mean, yeah, it's, it's so sad and dark, and especially it's, it's, it sounds like a very inspiring woman who went on to do, you know, was a great businesswoman and, and able to provide for a family. And literally feels like pride and shame which is his own hang-ups and has caused such a horrible scene to occur so yeah yeah absolutely, absolutely. devastating yeah and his, his children had a, such a bright future ahead of them i'm sure his his um brother and sister-in-law and his niece also did it's just yeah yeah it's horrific i couldn't believe there wasn't more information out there about this case given that it was sort of what 12 13 years ago um but yeah, really, really sad. And as Tom mentioned at the start, there's a lot of kind of imagery um, that makes this a particularly haunting case. I mean, the police arriving at that scene as well, a scene that was supposed to be so happy and joyful to find blood and presence everywhere. Just, yeah, not very nice at all. How should we wrap up in a way that's... Oh, you got a riddle, aren't you, Dan? Ooh. Well, I do have a riddle, yeah. Um, basically, I tried to find a Christmas riddle, right? Yeah. Um, I, I folded under the pressure because they were all shit. So I decided to get ChatGPT to write a riddle for me. Mm. <laughs> and it's probably the shittest thing I've ever heard. So are you up for it? Absolutely. Um, and, and this is, just so you know, this is literally the one, two, three, four, fifth time I asked ChatGPT to kind of refine it and make it better, right? You know, feeding it a bit <laughs> <Wow>. more <laughs> information to... To try and come up with a good riddle. But um, here we go. Dan's riddle sly, a mischievous grim. Twist and turn, a mind game to win. Puzzles are plenty, a chuckle or two. A laughing thought, we find our clue. Riddles! A Christmas riddle, 
uh, from ChatGPT. In red and green, I often gleam, a symbol of joy, as in a dream. I'm not a gift or a festive tree, yet without me, celebrations wouldn't be. What am I? Red dream. and green. Colourblind person's nightmare. <laughs> an elf? Yeah, I was thinking elf. Okay, so yeah, you're going with elf as well, Tom? Well, red and green. Yeah. I mean, the dream bit is the bit that's making me think elf. The answer is really going to annoy you both, I think. Oh, so it's not elf. Red and green. Um, tinsel. Okay, tinsel. Um, the answer is the spirit of togetherness. Fuck off. How's, how's that red and green? <laughs> yep. <laughs> what? Yeah, I mean, yeah. the spirit of togetherness. If anyone got that who's listened to this, then you're a fucking liar. No, because there's no one's getting that. No. Well, um, rather than that frustrating note, uh, the Fort Catalog has got 35 dirty Christmas jokes that will help you get through the holidays. Brilliant. I can just share one with you if you yes, want the please. first one I've seen. Benjamin Carter's dirty jokes. Oh, that's filthy. Oh. What am I doing? Uh, why does Santa always come through the chimney? Because he's got bulging sack. No, no. Dan, any advances? Has had blue balls all year? I don't know. Ooh. Again, they're both good answers. Because he knows better than to try the back door. Mm. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. So for that and 34 others, um, fortcatalogue.com. Brilliant. There yeah. you go. Merry Christmas. Dirty jokes. Yes, guys, we hope you have a lovely, lovely, happy Merry Christmas. And we'll be back again in the new year with a brand new series. And we will uh, be revealing that in the not too distant future. Not too distant future uh, in terms of when we're coming back. And we're very excited in the way that we're announcing it. So lots of things to share with you guys coming up. And we're very excited. And we think you're going to be very happy with the opener of next series. That's all I'm going to say. Mm. But until then... Uh, like we always say. No, wait. That's not even me either. Until then. I just said, yeah, you just kind of jumped in. Sorry. That's all right. Sorry. <laughs> like we always say... We say this all the time. Keep doing what you're doing. Mm. Unless it's having, having a bad Christmas. We want you guys to have a, a lovely Christmas. A bloody lovely one. And, yeah. Uh, the spirit of t- togetherness should really be all colours rather than just red and green. Tell someone you haven't told in a while that you love them. How about that? Yeah. And a, give a big hug. Well, if they're far away, you can't. But well, yeah. send them the thoughts there. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Keep your toes out of that eggnog as well because stinky toes make the eggnog goes down bad. Just wash your feet. Anyway, mm-hmm. all the best. Happy New Year and Happy Christmas. To the pip. Merry Christmas. Oh, ho, ho. <laughs> Santa Claus. Dirty. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. 
For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk.